the impact to their business. It started to feel like a responsibility to us to be able to say, how are we going to be a point of light to these companies that have lost their main source of revenue? And what can we offer them in order to be good partners for them? Welcome to Transform It Forward, the podcast that gives you an inside look into the before and after some of the world's most effective transformation processes. I'm your host, Paul French. 2020 has changed the way that customers interact with their favorite brands. And in just a few months, what used to be a very normal, predictable thing has quickly become different. Brands have had to get creative in the way they communicate with their customers, how they reach them, and potentially even searching out new and different distribution channels. On this week's episode, I'm delighted to chat with Danielle Brown, the Chief Marketing Officer of Points. Points is a technology organization dedicated to helping brands enhance and monetize their loyalty currency. And currently, they serve 60 of the world's largest brands. I'm looking forward to getting her perspective on how a direct-to-consumer industry has changed and what part brand loyalty has to play in one of the most volatile environments that we have ever faced. Thanks very much for joining me today, Danielle. I'm actually really interested in the life that you lead because there's nothing more difficult than trying to balance uh, communicating directly in a B2B sense as well as in a B2C sense. So I'm interested in kind of what's the background of points and how'd you get there? And what does that mean as you look at kind of a multi-headed marketing strategy in order to grow that business? Points has been around for about 20 years. And we think of ourselves as a B2B business. That said, the nature of our B2B engagements are such that we work with some of the world's leading airline and hotel loyalty programs. We build their technology and power new ways for those loyalty program members to get and use their favorite loyalty currency. So when you think about that, that means that we're marketing to get more partners into our, uh, into our ecosystem. But at the same time, what my marketing team does is that we work with those brands in order to create new opportunities for their loyalty program members to engage with their loyalty currency. So we have this unique responsibility where it's not even in all the cases directly B2C, but it's almost B to B to C. So we have the responsibility of having to represent our partner brands. So anything that we do from a B to C perspective is never from points specifically, but we actually work through our partner brands to execute some programs for them. So we have to hold this mantle of being able to represent their brands and their customer experience in a way that they would be proud of. It's a fascinating challenge as someone who's done the B2B side and the B2C side, trying to get into the hands of the B2B CMO that might be your customer and how they're extending their value proposition and experience to their customer has got to be an interesting challenge. Yeah, you know, what I find really interesting is thinking through that difference between the B2B world and the B2C world and how you grab someone's attention. Sure, when we're talking about marketing to a B2B CMO, what we're really thinking about is it's a long sales cycle, it's more enterprise driven, and the B2C transactions are more short term and peppy and it's way less commitment. But I think the commonality there is really around, it still has to do with engagement. And at the end of the day, you're still looking to engage people whether it's B2B or B2C. I know we think and talk about B2B as this whole more enterprise or or more organizational play. But at the end of the day, you're still thinking about people who will react to your message and people who in a B2B setting want to look good to their leadership teams and feel like they are 
creating good opportunities for the organizations in which they work. So I think that's the great equalizer, really, is thinking about I'm engaging my target and it's just for different amounts of time and with different parameters. It's fascinating. So as as you think about the changing nature of digital experience with regards to customers, omni-channel and mobile delivery and things that were ex- accelerated, exacerbated by COVID and what happened earlier this year, what did you think was going to happen this year? And what have you seen happen this year? Well, being a uh, company where most of our partners are in the travel space, it was a bit of a shock, right? It really rocked us because there was no amount of risk and scenario planning that we could do that would come up with global pandemic as a viable risk that we were thinking through, not for a company of sub 300 people, right? And so we were really rocked, not the least of which, like, I mean, the the personal toll of the pandemic, but when you think about all of our partners and we think about the impact to their business, it started to feel like a responsibility to us to be able to say, how are we going to be a point of light to these companies that have lost their main source of revenue? And what can we offer them in order to be good partners for them. Um, What's interesting is kind of our origin story. We've been around for 20 years and our really big push and success in our business was really interestingly around yet another event that affected global traffic. And after September 11th, we had some of the partners that we had been talking to saying, no one's flying. What do we do? Can you help us create some ancillary revenue? And so when we remembered that we have helped people out of very difficult situations in the travel space before, we kind of went back to our origins and said, okay, our partners are looking for revenue opportunities. How can we provide a good customer experience and say, we're here, we're with you, even though some of your teams may be furloughed, you don't know when they're coming back. What can we do to help you execute? It's fascinating that, that you, even though you had to look back 20 years, you could you could draw from something like that. What are the differences in the consumer expectations between then and now? I, I'm a 2 million mile American flyer, haven't been on a plane since March. You know, it, it, my expectations are, have changed a lot as, as someone who was, was an active consumer of those services. What else are you seeing from your customers and their customers? Well, what's really interesting is because we are dealing with loyalty currency, right? And our products, for the most part, allow you as a loyalty program member to interact more fulsomely with your loyalty currency. So one of our products, uh, for example, might help you to purchase loyalty currency in order to be able to top up your points balance. That's kind of a classic earn opportunity. What we're missing in the cyclical nature of loyalty currency is the burn aspect because you can collect, you can purchase, but without an opportunity to have a travel experience in the near future or less travel experiences in the near future, what's happening in the business cycle or in your consumer cycle is that you have your earn, but you don't have your burn that then makes you want to earn. So the challenge of positioning why you would want to actually purchase additional currency now when you might not be flying anywhere or you're sure are flying a lot less or you might not be staying anywhere has really been an interesting marketing challenge to be able to say, we're not talking about needs-based anymore, but really offering people hope to say, in your world, in your life, when is the next time that you think you will be able to travel? And wouldn't it be nice to have that goal that you're earning towards? It's interesting. Have you guys considered beyond the travel paradigm? 
Yep, absolutely. We have some really interesting partners right now. One of our interesting partners that we, I think, launched at the end of last year was there was a Lyft and Hilton partnership and really just looking around at what are those more platform partnerships that we could be looking at or things like when you're looking at loyalty, people who are smart about their loyalty points really view it as currency. So if you think about it as a currency exchange almost and your currency trading, looking at things like, hmm, what else could could we enable loyalty programs to let you use your loyalty currency to pay for? That's kind of the development area that when we look at diversification, we are right now trying to think about how can we accelerate that and accelerate our capabilities in that area. Yeah, it's interesting. So your, your business problem is if we stay constrained to the travel world, we're going to be limited until the world comes back to some sense of normal where people want to fly somewhere someday or or go stay at a hotel someday. I can't wait. I'll, I'll go anywhere. Send me anywhere right now after so many years of traveling, right? <laughs> I know. But, it seems um, really strange. <laughs> it really, really does. But the problem is, you know, how do you guys look at a world where you add more value to your customers by giving them, you know, an arbitrage, for lack of a better word, capability to take from one and, and move into retailing or move into to different localized experiences? as opposed to the other. How did that change look? Was it process people, technology, communications, getting the board involved, your investors? What was the what was the overall, okay, here's where we go from here? Well, we're lucky in that we had already done a fairly extensive long-term planning. And we I think any smart company really is always looking at, should we be diversifying? How much should we be diversifying? So it wasn't the beginning of a conversation around now. There may just be certain products in our pipeline that we started to say, oh, okay, maybe we should pull these forward and really looking to orienting our builds to build for products that would help us now rather than looking at our planning cycle and saying, okay, things are humming along really, really well. Let's make sure that we continue to develop these platform opportunities. What we've decided to do is really in a lot of case, pull those forward. And that's in consultation with our partners. So to be able to say, all right, beyond the classic travel loyalty currency, what else do you want your members to be able to do with their currency? And it's been a really collaborative process. That's interesting. So at that point, though, does, doesn't it change? It adds another stream of marketing for you, which is partner recruitment, I would imagine. It's a whole new category of sets of partners that you're interested in looking for. Yeah. So it goes back to that on the B2B spectrum. What we're classically good at and used to is really landing those big whales of airline X and hotel partner Y. We have around 60 of the world's biggest airline and hotel partners. And now it does make us from the business development standpoint need to think about how do we close those smaller deals? And again, we had started, but our muscle probably needs to be more firmly developed in area. Did it take anything different from an internal systems process, ways to think about the transformation that you're going from being heavily rooted in travel into now being really a mainline, you know, new type of digital currency? It's because we always saw ourselves as digital currency. That wasn't really the thing that took a different mindset. What took a different mindset, I think, was the speed of change, not the fact of change. And I'll give you a bit of an example. So, you know, pandemic, everyone's on lockdown and we're like, okay, great. I also run the business operations team. So that's our customer success and our product delivery and promotional delivery teams. So like our go-to-market teams. Right before the pandemic, we were looking at our pipeline and we were like, geez, we just got, we had gotten approved to get 15 additional resources. Of course, we go into a pandemic and it's like, okay, we're going to take a little pause on hiring, but we don't want to choke our pipeline going forward for product development. So what I had actually done 
through our marketing and ops teams was to say, I'm going to orient this planning window to a smaller view. We need to help our partners make money in year to shore up lost revenues. So how are we going to reshuffle our resources internally and say, who has the potential skills to be able to possibly get this work done, even though we can't hire an additional 15 bodies on this team, which led to the most fascinating change in development periods I've ever been through in my career. I now have people who had interest in web development who were on our customer support team now moving over to be web devs. I had a lifecycle marketing manager who was like, I can help the delivery team on project management do that. And it's made me really rethink the value of a generalist. And really, people being good at things is so important. But when you're in a period of rapid change, an understanding across the breadth of a business just becomes so much more important to be able to move quickly. It was remarkable to me to hear how quickly Danielle and her team was able to react to the COVID pandemic. It was amazing to see how quickly they went from a partner model that was designed to drive loyalty and digital currency into one that was really relying on just being a great partner. It's clear that our relationship to brands will never be the same. We have moved, even those people who were Luddites and chose not to move, to a much more digital future. Now, this might have a hybrid component where you order online and pick up from the grocery store, but the future is clearly digital. Was it something that you had built culturally in terms of cross-training and, and you know, a learning culture that made people feel like they wanted to learn those things, or did they just come to it naturally? I think it's a combination of both. One of the things that I feel are really important in leading a team is to think about I'm working on how we relate to each other and how we interact with each other. One of the things that I had done with my marketing team about five, six years ago, maybe, was to think about it, it was a team that was working but wasn't exactly high performing at the time in my assessment. And in trying to figure out why that was, I came across this one realization that the team didn't trust each other as much as they should. And so there was a lot of duplication of work. There was a lot of people sticking in their lanes, a lot of silos. And what we decided to do as a team was build a trust model and say, okay, what are the behaviors that we would need as a team in order to trust people to take more risks and challenge each other more? And the team came together through a crowdsourced way to build a trust model to say, okay, if we could do these following four things, create transparency, practice accountability, deliver results, and practice straight talk. If we could build a model where in every interaction we made sure that we trusted each other, then we would be able to take more risks and feel like we were supported. And I feel like that foundational work has kind of carried on. I left for three for three years uh, and then have been back at points for about eight or nine months. And that model kind of grew and developed. And I came back to a team where those trust words were part of their lexicon and part of their way of working. And that enabled this rapid pace of change, I think. That's fantastic. I'm also a recidivist, having been at Axway for a long time and left for five <laughs> years and then came back. So I I, uh, I can certainly appreciate coming back to something that you built from the past. With control of marketing and go-to-market and a little bit on the delivery side, how was the change management with the rest of the 300 humans that are at points? I think pre-pandemic, we were, as a leadership team, worried about rocking the boat too much and about making things too difficult with change. 
And I'll tell you, across the organization, I mean, I described some some cross-functional work happening on my team. I can tell you this is happening across the organization. And as a leadership team, what we realized was, you know what? Our team gets it. And they get that we are trying to solve a business problem together. And we don't have to handle our team with kid gloves. We work with them and expect so much from them for their regular work product on a day-to-day basis. But we've got this crash course in what happens when you actually realize that everybody is in it together and you don't have to treat people so preciously. I'm not saying you don't have to care about people or respect people, but I think showing people that you trust them to move quickly is such greater respect than handling them with kid gloves. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. I, I was tell my team, there's almost nothing in the world that you could do that I can't get you out of, right, you know, totally. so take, so take the chance, right? Take yeah. the chance. Yeah. I, I got Fail you. Fail fast. Know? Right. And this has been That's an opportunity right. to remind people that we're all in it together and we've got each other. So I'm interested in how the accountability piece works in concert with measurement and then specifically how the whole company adopts that. Yeah. So the trust model is interesting because we've actually moved on to a happiness model. But but the trust model, what we did when we put it together was reward each other and give each other awards for so-and-so. I thought so-and-so did a great job delivering results this week and saying that in front of everyone on the team or so-and-so really had a stern talking with me about this deliverable that I missed on. And I so appreciated it because I got where they were coming from and what that impact was. And just doing that monthly in front of the group of people started encouraging that accountability. What we then did was we then moved on to, okay, how do we start giving awards for our four pieces of our trust model to the rest of the company. And as a team, we would vote on how the company was going to be recognized, different people on different teams that weren't the marketing team recognized for exhibiting those behaviors. And it was really fun because we had an opportunity to then expose other teams into our way of thinking and kind of bring them into the fold a little bit. I touched a little bit on the happiness model that we moved on to because I started really getting concerned about we're all working remotely and everyone's work situations are different. And I mean, my team is 90 people and everyone has different things going on in their lives, different workspaces, different ability to concentrate and create space. And so our newest model that we're experimenting with is this happiness model that again, the team built and they figured that they would need six things in a typical day in order to be happy. If they could feel that there was acknowledgement of their work, if they could create balance in the way that they were working, if they could feel that they were getting challenged enough on a day-to-day basis, if they had clarity in what they were supposed to do, if they felt they were contributing to a larger whole, and also, and this was the most important one, if they felt that they could get connection to their fellow team members, this would make them super happy and make for a great day. And I think that's what's so important when you manage a team is think about, I know a happy team and a happy individual contributes really, really well to the overall progress of a company. So when we're thinking about customer experience, customer experience is never going to be positive if it's actually being charged or run by team members on your team who aren't necessarily happy. So really in looking at the order of importance in things that we need to do, 
we decided as a team that if we could make ourselves happy and make each other happy, it would be really beneficial and influential to our results. I think that's fantastic. I intend to fully and completely steal the idea. Just to awesome, let you know do in it. advance. Yeah, it's Everyone great. It should. really is. It's something obviously, you know, in, in the world of COVID, every company is confronted with what does our workplace look like going forward? And, and that idea of building from happiness is a great, great idea. We're really, really cool. I do find that it's like happiness, trust, they feel a little squishy, but really we're people and we're squishy. And the idea that we can build solid processes and have people who don't know what their day-to-day lives look like follow them, I think it's practically impossible. And we really do need to look at the emotional health of our team in order to be able to deliver fantastic customer experiences all the way through the organization. That's awesome. So then the payoff, what do you expect? The acknowledgement, the change, the obviously the, the customer changes that and the expectation changes that they have. What does this mean for points over the course of the next year or two? I mean, we're not going to be able to control the pandemic recovery curve or what traveling looks like. I've read we'll be back to normal in 2022 to 2025. So we do have this strong sense of what we're able to control and what we're not able to control. But from what's controllable, what becomes super important, I think, is being able to say working as partners and working as trusted partners becomes the number one guiding principle. Numbers are always important and we will work to hit our numbers, but it's less about this number is your goal and more about what does our partner need to accomplish and how can we help them get there? That has to be the shift in the orientation. It's always something that we've known, but really if we orient to how do we help our partners achieve their goals, that's always going to make things easier and get, make us more productive. So as the person who owns customer success, is there a way that you measure that? Are you an MPS type of shop in order to determine that? We are not an NPS type of shop. Um, the way that we work is we have a whole bunch of service level agreements with each of our different partners. What our commercial agreements and our terms are different with every one of our partners. So definitely makes it challenging sometimes to be able to make consistent processes. We have to aim for equitable rather than equal across the board with 60 partners. But for us, it's really around handle times and satisfaction around issue resolution. And we can drill down pretty deep into that just by talking to our partners and by looking at results. We have a bit of a different set of metrics because we don't necessarily A lot of our support is around the partner support. We only have one product that we do direct customer support for. My final question is one a little bit more deeply personal. Are you a music fan? I sure am. It's been a long day. You got a lot of work to do. Yeah. What is the music that you put on from your whatever your choice of streaming or CDs or old school tapes? What do you choose to listen to? Oh, this is such a great question. It depends on the day. If I need a boost, I will actually take a break and listen to one of my all-time faves, Whitney Houston. If I need to take it down a little bit and I want to be a little more mellow, then I will listen just recently probably to Chris Stapleton. And if I feel like I need to really, really, really dig into getting a little more creative, I will always, always do that with some Thelonious Monk or some John Coltrane. Wow. Some excellent choices. Some excellent choices. Well, Danielle, you're awesome. The fact that nobody expected that a global pandemic would come up on our life's bingo card, but (laughs) it did. And you, it sounds like, took it as a really, really 
powerful opportunity to make some uh, some powerful change for your business and for your partners. And um, I'm really pleased to have you join me today. I really thank you for the time. Thank you, Paul. What a wonderful conversation. Really appreciate it. So I had a great conversation with Danielle and a couple things really stood out to me. First, the commonality between B2B and B2C marketing is the ability to connect and engage people. Regardless of who you're targeting, as marketers, we need to consider how people will react. The differences really come down to the time and the parameters. Efforts. Second, no amount of risk planning could have ever predicted COVID-19. And especially for points in working with the travel industry, they focused on hope. Hope for the future. Hope for the opportunity to get on a plane again and to give customers an incentive to get excited about their next trip. Third, when you're working with a service-based business, it's not necessarily all about equality. It's much more important to focus on the equity. Not everybody's the same. Not all partnerships are the same. And so you have to be able to provide value and support to everybody, but you've also got to understand how they fit into your overall business needs. Fourth, you got to have faith in your team. They will help you solve the problems. And so when Points was pivoting during the COVID-19 pandemic, they found the opportunity to drive even more speed, balancing hiring, product development, the resources that they had. Their team reached and extended themselves in order to deliver what was necessary and was able to handle the volatile environment presented to them. And then finally, trust is great, but when you're going to build a high-performing team and a team that can react to something as volatile as COVID-19, they need to be happy. And so customer experience is never going to be positive. It's not run by the team uh, that's happy. So take the time to invest in your team, focus on their emotional health, and uh, measure their happiness as a really core KPI. Thanks for listening to Transform It Forward, the podcast that gives you an inside look at some of the world's most effective transformation processes. If you like this episode, please be sure to give us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. I'm your host, Paul French, and I look forward to being with you next time.